How do we know when we've really worshiped? How do we know when we've really worshiped? You know what we do in our services today? We come to a worship service. We walk in, we're given a worship program. Uh, we come to the worship center in order to do that. We have a worship leader. We have a worship team. We sing worship songs. We have a worship experience. But really when all is said and done and you walk out of here, how are you going to know if you've really worshipped? What is worship? How do you know that you've worshipped? The church talks more about worship and sometimes does it less of anything, any subject that I know about. So how can you know that you've really worshipped? One of the most beautiful worship scenes in all the Bibles found in Isaiah chapter 6. And beginning in verse 1, it's a familiar passage to many of us. And the first phrase is really important. We're going to look at it in a little bit later in the message. <clears throat> but it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two covered his face to his feet two he flew and one called to another and said in that beautiful antiphonal chorus holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, man, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I've had a worship experience. I'm, feel, I'm fulfilled. I'm fe no, that's not what he says. He says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm lost. I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm hanging around a bunch of folks like that. I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. That seraphim is a picture of the Holy Spirit. That burning coal is a picture of the blood of Christ. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, Lord, here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Well, how are we going to know if we've worshipped? Have you ever noticed how so much in the Bible is wrapped up in triads? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so much of, of what we see subjects in the Bible and themes in the Bible are all evidenced in three ways. Uh, an upward evidence, <clears throat> an inward evidence, uh, an outward evidence. Uh, and if I could illustrate the rest of this sermon, the way things in the Bible are illustrated with these three evidences. Take the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22. What is the real proof that you're being controlled and filled by the Spirit of God. You look at the fruit of the Spirit, and what do you find? You find that upward evidence, love, joy, peace. You're being controlled by the Spirit of God, you'll have an upward evidence. You'll be living with the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ. Not only is there an upward evidence in those, that fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but there's also an outward evidence. What's the outward evidence in your relationship with others 
when you're being controlled by the Spirit. The next three are the, that cluster of fruit. It's, lo, it's a long-suffering, kindness, goodness. You be controlled by the Spirit of God, there'll be an outward evidence. You'll respond to other people with long-suffering, with kindness, with goodness. There's an, outward, there's an upward evidence. There's an outward evidence. There's also an inward evidence. And that's the last three in this cropping of fruit. And, 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 and what is that? Uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the inward evidence that you're being controlled by the Spirit of God. You can illustrate these evidences positively and negatively. Remember the prodigal son? Remember his elder brother, the older brother? who got mad because he'd come home and they were having a party and he was celebrating and he wallowed in self-pity. <clears throat> you think about that elder brother. Look at the three evidences that appear in his life. And it's what self-pity will do to any of us. What does self-pity do uh, in that outward evidence with others? It destroys. It destroys two things. You live in self-pity in your relationship with others, it'll destroy two things, happiness and harmony. Remember what it says about him? He was angry, and he wouldn't go in. The whole place was exploding with joy, but one person wasn't getting involved because he was mad. And in his outward relationship, it was destroying them. That's what self-pity does. What, what does it do to our inward relationship? It distorts our inward relationship. Remember what he said? You never gave me a goat that I might be happy with my friends and I might it was all I me me my it just distorts I always see as ourself when we live in self-pity it distorts our values remember what he said you didn't give me a goat cabrito he wants some barbecued goat but what was it they had killed the fatted calf they were having fillets and and tenderloins and steak and he was griping about it a goat it distorts your vision. You know, you can shut out the, the, the sun with a dime if you get it close enough to your own eye. So in, in, in your, in your, in your uh, inward relationship, it distorts. It destroys, it distorts. And what about your upward relationship with God? Self-pity. If you've never known anybody, it deceives. It deceives you into thinking that he's nowhere around, not involved, not doing anything. And listen to what the father said to the elder brother. Son, I'm always with you. And all that I have is yours. It's right that we be part of He was lost. Now he's found. He was dead. He's alive. And they began to be married. And you know, in our own relationships, those three things are evidenced. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's, we, we, we all have three relationships in life. An outward relationship. That's the way we relate with each other church, school, at home, in the social arena, wherever we are, we're made to connect with each other. Remember at the end of every great creative act, God would speak. You remember what he would say? He, he put the stars in place. He said, that's good. He, he, divided, he, he divided the sea and land. He said, that's good. He made the vegetation. He said, that's good. He made the, uh, the animal life. He said, that's good. He made man, and he said something else. What did he say? Not good. That's what he said. This is, this is not good. And what was the rest of that verse? It's not good for man to be alone. We're made to connect with one another in the dynamic relationships of interpersonal relationships. There's an outward expression. Then, secondly, there is an 
inward expression. That's the relationship you have with yourself. And most of what goes wrong in your outward expression is just a projection of what's going on in you. I get angry at the office or something, or somebody, I come home and throw it off on my wife if I'm not careful. There's one other relationship we have. That's that upward expression. This is, a, this is what separates you and me from all the other created order. We have the capacity to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and know him in the intimacy of father and child. And what's the bottom line? We're never going to be properly related to each other until we're properly related to ourselves. And that's never going to happen until we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, begin to find our self-worth, Christ, as Paul said in Colossians, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And translate that to those who are around us. Well, the same is true with worship. <clears throat> and in this Isaiah 6 passage, we see three evidences that you've worshipped. And if you want to know if you've worshipped, be, it'll be evidenced in three particular ways as we see in Isaiah's worship experience. First of all, there's an upward evidence. What is it? You'll see God in his own holiness you'll read you'll discover that worship is not about you it's not about me it's about him and 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 if we've had a true worship experience we will catch a glimpse of the fact that he is different holy means to be separate to be he is holy he is all righteous. He is holy. Worship is about Christ. I preached in a church not long ago, and they sang a song, uh, I worship you, I worship you. And I bet we sang that 15,000 times, maybe 15. But it was all about what I was doing. That's what I appreciate about what Kirk did here this morning. There, some people have worship that's man-centered. But what we've had here this morning is Christ-centered worship where it is about Jesus it is about Christ it's not about us there's a new trendy gospel you don't have it in your church but I want to tell you it's in a lot of churches out there that's in diametric opposition to the New Testament gospel the new trendy gospel emphasizes man and his need of self-fulfillment the New Testament gospel emphasizes self-denial if any man come after me, let him deny himself, Jesus said, and take up his cross and follow me. This new trendy gospel is, settled, is centered in man and his need of happiness and fulfillment. And the New Testament gospel is centered in Christ and his message of redemption. You'll know that you've worshipped when you've gotten a glimpse of the holiness of God and, and seen him as Isaiah saw him here. You know, th this was developed in a crisis. The first phrase says, in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been reigning for, get this, 52 years. He had his shortcomings, but, but in many ways he had been a good king to them. 52 years. He was the only one that had seated, sat, on the, sat on the throne that they had ever known in Judah. For 52 years he was there. And then in the year that he died, Isaiah had this worship experience. Now it was a dark time in the land. Their king, the one in whom they had trusted, their leader was dead. And you know, often worship experiences 
come out of some dark times in our lives. I look back over at my life. Some of the times when I've had difficulties or circumstances that came around or situations beyond my control that were not pleasant were some of the greatest worship experiences I ever had that drove me to Christ, that drove me to his heart, that drove me to his feet in worship. Isaiah said in the year the king Uzziah Lord died, I saw the Lord seated. The earthly throne was empty, but Isaiah was reminded God had not abdicated his throne. He was still seated on the throne. He saw him high and lifted up. He said, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And that great antiphonal chorus began to worship and sing holy, holy, as we've done this morning. Holy is the Lord God of hosts. It's not about you. It's not about what you've seen. It's not about what you do. It's about Jesus. It's about worshiping Jesus. How do you know you've worshipped? There'll be an upward experience. You will, you will see the Lord in his holiness. There's an inward evidence. You'll begin to see yourself in your own helplessness. And, and so many times I fear this is what we miss in worship. <clears throat> because we have, a, we, have a, we have a way of judging ourselves and the righteousness of ourselves against other people, not against the righteousness of Christ. When you see God in his holiness, you, like Isaiah, will see yourself as you really are. And he said, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I mean, I, I've said some things this week I wish I could take back. I've hung around some people this week that aren't pleasing to God. Woe is me. I'm undone. You see God in his holiness. You'll begin to see yourself as you really are. And you'll see it without excuse. You'll get away with that little word if in your confession. Lord, if I've done anything or if I've, if I, if I, Lord, that's, we use that too much. Forget that. No excuses. Like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm hanging around a bunch of folks like that. It goes against the grain of a lot of teaching today. That people think you ought to come to worship and leave feeling good about yourself. You ought to come to worship and see yourself as you really are so you can get cleansed. Like he did. And confess, you come to worship without getting cleansed of your sin, you haven't worshiped. You walk in this room like you walk in a ball game and walk out again, you haven't worshiped. Isaiah found atonement. He found cleansing. He saw himself as he was and he confessed. It goes against the grain of a lot of teaching. Remember Job? What happened to Job when he got a glimpse of the holiness of God? You remember what he said? I abhor myself. And repent in sackcloth and ashes. Remember what Peter said? Simon Peter? He said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He didn't say, now, Lord, if I've done anything to offend you. No, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me. I'm sinful. 
you see God in his holiness, you'll see yourself. The closer you get to the light, the more you'll see yourself like you really are. What about John on Patmos? Remember when he got a glimpse of the holiness of God? What did he do? He said, I fell down at his feet like I was a dead man. The closer you get to the holiness of God, the more you see yourself as you really are. You want a good illustration of that? There's a subtle, beautiful evidence of this in the epistles of Paul. Paul gave you half your New Testament. And the closer he got to the heart of God, the more he walked this journey, the closer he came to his martyr's death, the more he saw himself like Isaiah. He came back from his first missionary journey and he wrote his first letter in your New Testament. You know what it is? It's the book of Galatians. Wrote it in about 48 A.D. after his first missionary journey. You know what he says in there? He addresses himself like this. He says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He began to grow in faith, grow in holiness. And seven years later, he wrote the Corinthian epistle, 1 Corinthians. And he says in chapter 15, verse 9 of the Corinthian epistle, Paul, I'm the least of the apostles. And then a few years later, about three years later, around 60, 61, he wrote that cyclical letter that went to those churches that we call it Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Paul, he said, I'm, the, I'm less than the least of all the saints. And over there in prison in Rome, right before he died, he wrote to young Timothy. And to Timothy, he said, I'm Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. Do you see that? We're not, I'm nobody. You're nobody. Paul goes from saying, I'm the apostle to, of the Lord Jesus Christ to I'm the least of the apostles to I'm less than the least of all the saints to finally saying right before he died, look, I see myself as I really am. I'm the chief of all sinners. Nobody's a bigger sinner than me. You know how you'll know that you worship? You will see yourself like that. The closer you draw to the heart of God, when you worship God in his holiness, that light of God shines upon you and you see yourself like you are. And all those imperfections and all those impurities, they rise to the surface and you see it and you will say with Isaiah, oh me, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And you'll do what he did, you'll confess and you'll find the forgiveness and cleansing of God. And it'll be made as if it never happened. Nothing between you and the Savior. There's an inward evidence. There's an upward evidence. You'll see God in his holiness. There's an inward evidence. And finally, briefly, there'll be an outward evidence. You'll begin to see those people driving by, see those cars going by. You'll drive past neighborhoods going home. You'll see people at, at school or at work. And there'll be an outward evidence you'll begin to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And you'll see people in their own helplessness without Christ. What happened after he saw God in his holiness? He saw himself in his own hopelessness and got cleansed. He started seeing others. He said, then, 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 not until he had seen those two other things. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? 
And listen to what he said, here am I. Not here I am. Here I am has to do with location. Here I am, I'm right here. Here am I has to do with dedication. Here am I before you, Lord. Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Here am I, send me. And listen to what God said, okay, go and tell this people. You don't know if you worship, you'll get a burden for those folks who don't know Christ. You'll say, send me, Lord. And you will go and tell those people. First, he dedicated himself. Here am I. And then he dedicated himself to service. Send me. And God said, go. True worship always leads us to go to somebody in need. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his plan of redemption. And let me tell you something else. You know why some of us don't go? Because the go always follows the woe. That's why you don't go. It's been a long time since some of us have come to the woe is me, for I'm undone. No wonder we don't hear the voice of God. How are you going to know you've worshipped? There's going to be an outward evidence. And like Paul, you'll have a burden for those who don't know. Maybe your King Uzziah has died. That one or that thing in which you'd hoped, in which you'd trusted, in which you'd longed for is gone. Gone. That's an awful, wonderful opportunity of worship. Because I got some good news for you. He's still high and lifted up. He's still seated on the throne. God has not abdicated his throne. You listen to the news today. You read the newspapers in the morning. And you see all the turmoil. and the He's not abdicated his throne. He still has the king's heart in his hand. Turns it whichever way he will. He still rules over this whole world to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are fixed on him. He's not abdicated his throne. He is in control. So how are you going to know if you've worshipped? Ask yourself, have I seen God in his holiness? Have I seen myself in my own hopelessness? And do I see others helpless? without Christ you know when we crop that picture down all the way in that little Christmas code we come down to one solitary figure I love the way Rembrandt did his nativity scene if you remember you've seen that painting it's it's just one shaft of light that comes down focuses on the babe in a manger and everything else is shrouded in shadow it's just Jesus it's Jesus. Only Jesus. 